Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This week on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, our special guest is a journalist who covers the WNBA and other sports. But today, we're focusing on the W. He's Howard Megdahl, and he's coming right up. Darlene, girl, let's run it. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is hosted by a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a well-executed fade screen and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. A lover of threes in transition, Monica McNutt. Darlene, girl, you know me so well. I love a three in transition. It is such a beautiful thing. Today's guest, folks, I'm super excited about. Let me just give you all the things that he covers. He's a writer and an editor who covers the WNBA, the NBA, soccer, baseball, men's and women's basketball, and more. He has worked tirelessly before it was trendy, like before 2019, to equalize coverage between men's and women's sports, both in his own work and through creating an infrastructure for others to do it in more permanent ways. He is the author of four books, count them, all four, and has written at numerous outlets, including the New York Times, Sports Illustrated, Deadspin, The Athletic, and others. He is the one and only Howard Megdal, who joins us now. Howard, thank you so much, my friend, for coming on. It is my sincere pleasure. Really excited to be here. All right. So amongst all the things that you cover, High Post Hoops is another one of your babies, in a way. True. Very true. (laughs) Um, and it highlights the W, which Howard, I mean, I remember being a 10, 12 year old girl with the run through the WNBA with the Houston Comets and the dynamic trio that they had. But I got to say, I love where the league is today. It's really very exciting. And what's particularly exciting for me is that in a year where so many players have been injured, have been missing time uh, for different reasons, whether it's Sue Bird or Brianna Stewart or Diana Taurasi, that what we've seen is the depth of talent is so good that other stars step up. And so while we've had, you know, a great year from Elena Deladon, you've seen some stars who wouldn't have necessarily gotten the same opportunities, whether it's Natasha Howard out in Seattle or even Nafisa Collier as a rookie getting more of an opportunity to play in Minnesota uh, in, in lieu of Maya Moore playing. And so from that perspective, to me, it's just it's a reminder that we should see expansion in the WNBA because there's more than 144 pros capable of doing it at any one time. But yeah, just to see the lead develop like that and so many of those players coming back, uh, it, it's the future is awfully bright. Oh, my goodness. The future is so bright. And I think I can remember having a conversation, I guess, around this time last year when the partnership with Twitter moving forward was announced for mm-hmm. WMA broadcasts. And so not only do I think the talent has grown tremendously, but we see that the appetite for the women's game has also grown and I'm just so appreciative of outlets committing in a way that we haven't seen I mean CBS Sports getting in on the action this year I I think it's all been tremendous I to me it's less a question 
Yes, I'm I'm pleased to see it. I'm happy to see it. But it's less a question of outlets deciding to invest and more like outlets bowing to reality. And the reality is that there's this audience out there that cares very much about women's sports. It's uh, an area of growth that men's sports just is never going to experience right now just because so much of what's happening now happened for men's sports 30, 40, 50 years ago. And so mm-hmm. it's just, you know, it's almost like the difference between a developed economy and a developing economy. And so to see it happen is great to see, but it also reflects, I think, more and more people not accepting no for an answer, uh, that just ignoring women's sports is not acceptable anymore. And it's not uh, at par the way it needs to be, but it is progress. There's no question. Um, in all of your astute coverage of various sports and trends throughout sports history, what do you think has to happen for the coverage to be at par? There's no magic bullet, right? There's no one thing that will be the flipping of a switch and suddenly we turn things around and, uh, you know, for every men's story, there's a women's story. It's gradually increasing the amount that's being done. It's making sure that new hires reflect that. It's making sure, to be frank, that the people telling the stories and the people making decisions about what stories are told uh, in our in our business have been disproportionately male and disproportionately white. And so making sure that we have women in this business and women of color in this business telling those stories and figuring out what coverage is will make a difference and will affect what stories are ultimately told and how they're told. Man, Howard taking us to church today. We need to just clip that off, play that for every media outlet that's interested on how we move forward sure. and reflect diversity of the game. I love that, Howard. It's a fantastic answer. I think it also shows that we belong, to your point, right? Like, because I've had conversations with, like, Abel Wallace, who covers the Mystics here locally for The Post, I'm sure you're familiar with. And there's always this question around women's sports where, like, coaches and players are like, thank you, after the fact. And part of me is like, that's just because women are way more gracious than men. But on the flip side of it, we deserve the coverage or we deserve the attention or as reporters, we're excited to do our job. Like you don't necessarily have to thank me, just make sure the check clears, but that's probably not anything that you have anything to do with. When I cover LeBron James, at the end of those press conferences, LeBron James, uh, who's very gracious, take nothing away from him, but he doesn't turn to reporters and say, gee, I just want to thank you for putting a spotlight on the NBA. I want to thank you for that opportunity. It's, it's assumed, it's understood that coverage is there. And so, to me, one marker of how we'll know when we're reaching par to your earlier question is that I don't get thanked for what I shouldn't be thanked for. Because covering this game and covering these athletes is an opportunity, and it's a privilege, no less than covering the NBA or MLB. And so, to me, uh, that response should be the same. I love it. I love it. I look forward to the day. Um, I do shout out women, though, for being gracious because we're just awesome. Like, we make the world go around. But I digress. Very true. <laughs> Let's move into the now, Howard. We're recording this podcast on Tuesday. The WNBA playoffs will begin tomorrow, September 11th, with round one, single elimination games. Uh, I, where do we even jump in? Well, first of all, <laughs> let me let me admit this. I thought the second round was a three-game series. I didn't realize both rounds were single elimination. Boo, it- I Howard. I don't like it. And and we've seen it right here in New York. Uh, we saw a couple of years ago, Tina Charles had one of the best New York Liberty teams I've seen. And the Mystics came in 
and in a one-game playoff, the Liberty were knocked out and haven't been back to the playoffs since. And so I, I agree with you. I think there needs to be that tweak. I uh, think second round, if you're the third or the fourth seed in this league, you deserve the opportunity to host a playoff series, not a winner-take-all single game. Alas, here we are. <laughs> and so yes. we've got round one. Well, first, let's let's just 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 we'll work it backwards. I do want to hear your selection to take the cake, and then we'll we'll work our way back. All right, so let's start at the top. The Mystics have to be the favorite. I mean, you look at things like you know net rating uh, in terms of offensive and defensive efficiency. You look at matchups and just the fact that there's no real answer. Nobody has had an answer for Elena Deladon. That's been true since she came in the league in 2013, but that is especially true this year. Uh, you, you can't turn her over. Her turnover percentage is less than 6%. If you foul her, you send her to the line, she's making 97.3% of her free throws. And if she gets going downhill, you're just not stopping her getting to the basket in any way. And if she stops and pops, she's better than 40% from three. So, you know, that alone would make the Mystics a very dangerous team in the playoffs. The way we saw Elena's Sky were dangerous for years. But they are so deep. They're so talented. You know, the players they can bring off their bench are remarkably effective. I mean, Ariel Powers is a great example. She's uh, a wing. They bring off the bench. She can rebound. She can shoot the ball from deep. She was an early entry candidate uh, in the draft several years ago, and the only thing that's prevented her from becoming a star is good health, and now she's healthy and back to their plan for them, and she's, you know, maybe the seventh or eighth person in their rotation. So there are plenty of teams that can win it all, but it would be a surprise uh, to many, myself included, if the Mystics don't have enough in order to win it all. I feel so much wiser because I agree with you. And I also think for me, having been at Mason last year, right? Like mm -hmm. that Seattle, I team of destiny gets tossed around in sports, but I think not only was Seattle prolific, but I think they were so surgical and the mystics just weren't quite matched well enough. I mean, Stewie had a great series. Um, Sue Bird obviously did her thing and, and all that she represented for that organization. And then who's my girl that's shooting crazy 40-something from behind the three-point line that plays out there? I'm well, blanking. Oh, is it Alicia Clark? I mean, she's yes. having a crazy good year Alicia this year. Yeah. Was I mean, she was, she was crushing it defensively as well. Yeah. Um, but I think for the Mystics, yeah. and you do see this across sports, um, especially in basketball, that experience and having been right there and been so close in terms of tasting – is really going to power them this year. And then, as you mentioned, they are clicking on all cylinders. But I will say, you could even see a market difference, particularly in the terms of the depth that Tebow was comfortable with using compared to the beginning of the season versus if you showed up at any of the last, uh, I'll say six games or so, even though they've been on a mean streak that extends way beyond that. You know, Tebow's got a team, and it's not just depth, it's also they're capable of playing any position. I mean, then Emma Meesman, effectively, in some of his bigger lineups, is a six foot five two guard. I mean, it's just crazy how everyone is able to sort of interchangeably fit. And part of that is drafting well and, you know, getting players like Ariel Atkins, who is just insanely smart on the basketball court. I, I don't remember a basketball IQ higher than hers really since Tamika Tatchin's left the league. And, and I know they went to the same high school, and that's an easy comparison, but my God, it, it really seems like that's who she's turning into uh, at, at some level. And, and that's an amazing thing to have 
in a starting lineup on a regular basis. But, yeah, you know, the other thing was that Seattle was kind of built for 2018. They uh, ramped up in that way. They had a healthy Sioux. Uh, Brianna Stewart, in her third year, found another gear, and they were able to do it, and their time was now. And what's interesting about these playoffs is the Mystics were always built with 2019 in mind. So were the Connecticut Sun, the second overall seed. And that's something Kurt Miller's been talking about for three years, the head coach and GM out there, that 2019 is what we're building towards. And so those two heading for a collision course potentially in the WNBA Finals, that is an epic collection of young talent. There's no one in that group, when you think about the top players, uh, with the exception really of Christy Tolliver, who's even over the age of 30. So it's not just a rivalry for now. It's a potential rivalry for the next few years in the same way that we thought of the Lynch and the Sparks as defining the, the middle part of this decade. Man, that wow, that's a great point, Howard. And def- we definitely know the way the Lynx and the Sparks kind of defined. I mean, that takes me back to the Liberty and the Comets in terms of those two teams mm-hmm. all up down the stretch. So let me ask you this. You bring up the Connecticut Sun. They don't roll into the playoffs with that two seed. Congratulations to them. A big fan of Jazz Thomas. Been playing against her since our AAU days. Well, I obviously stopped playing. She's still crushing it. <laughs> uh, they kind of limped in, though, down the stretch. Although I was at an event with Amber Cox, who was their GM, and she really sort of gushed about how good the game against the Chicago Sky was. And I, I would almost argue, Howard, because we actually had John Quill Jones on last week, that oh, she God. may have been off a little bit emotionally with the dynamic and impressive and very thought out and heartfelt uh, check presentation for her efforts to raise money for the victims of Hurricane Dorian in her home of the Bahamas. But um, they still caught two L's, Howard, down the stretch. Are you concerned? I'm not. You know, and Amber's one of the good ones. So it, it really it was very striking to hear that from Amber Kurt post-game. Uh, that game in Chicago, a 109-104 loss, type of thing that would decimate people. And in the moments after, he's talking about what a great game of basketball it was and was able to separate it and see the bigger picture. And I think that's true in general for Connecticut at this point. You know, they they had their season ended two years in a row on their home floor by Diana Tarazi, who came in. Uh, and again, we go back to that one and done for the three and the four seeds. And it put them in a situation where, geez, 40 minutes, Diana Taraji comes and plays her game and your season is over. Uh, and, and that was a real shame. So getting the two seed and getting the opportunity to be guaranteed a five-game series in order to uh, maximize their depth advantage against a potential opponent, you know, likely Vegas or uh, Los Angeles, depending on uh, who wins out in these first couple of rounds, it'll be a fascinating thing to see. Uh, but John Quell Jones is as physically talented as anyone in this league. You know, she's six foot six. The easy comparison to make is to Kevin Durant, uh, but she herself makes it. Uh, everyone makes it. I heard Kurt Miller call out a play for her when they were in town a couple weeks ago. It's called KD is the name of one of the plays. So, you know, there's ample reason why people think of her in that way. And just her ability to shoot the three has been, you know, a constant throughout. You know, she's coming up with elite rebounding totals every single year. And yet she is not 
the reason why this team wins or loses. The reason why this team wins or loses is Courtney Williams. Courtney Williams is the emotional epicenter of that team. Courtney Williams is the one who has said they are the best team and are going to go win a championship. And she is the one in key moments who takes this team by the scruff of its neck. And so Jazz Thomas is a terrific playmaker. Alyssa Thomas, as a secondary distributor at the four, is a weapon that, quite frankly, no one else in this league has to that extent. But to me, Courtney Williams is the one to watch when it comes to this team uh, and determining just how far they're going to go. Yeah, and when I had an opportunity to call their game versus the Phoenix Sun and my super producer, Bruce was able to come through to that game. Kurt also pointed out Courtney in terms of, I'm always like, who's our X factor? Who's our X factor coaches? Mm-hmm. And Courtney sort of takes that role, but it's crazy for me seeing her there. Cause I definitely remember her USF days under Fernandez. Um, geez, that kid. I mean that she's such a fireball. <laughs> I mean, she would go out against UConn and uh-huh. she was the player who was not giving up against UConn and they would fall behind by 30 and she would still be at it. I mean, she is just, just takes such pleasure in playing the game and has such limitless energy. You know, I, I asked her, uh, you know, do you find another level at those key moments because she does rise up and make those great plays? And she said, she said, I feel like my energy level is always there. And yeah. and she's absolutely right. It absolutely is. All right. So do you expect those two teams to collide in your final? I do. I do. I think it would not be a shock if Vegas managed to make it through, if Los Angeles managed to make it through. There's a lot of talent. I I wouldn't rule out the Minnesota Lynch either, who have been playing elite defense, who have cut down on their turnovers. There's plenty of teams who could make runs in this playoff. But, yeah, if you're asking me, I I expect Form to hold at the very top. All right. Do you expect Form to hold the rest of the way? Uh, This podcast Hmm. is recorded on Tuesday. We'll kick off on Wednesday. Minnesota, Seattle, that's your seven versus six. I'm going to pick Minnesota to go in and pull the upset. As much as what Dan Hughes has done there is just remarkable, uh, I think in a single-game situation, Minnesota has too many players who can make big plays. I think they're going to have trouble with Sill, and I think they have too many three-point shooters, whether it's Lexi Brown, whether it's Stephanie Talbot, whether it's Demiris Dantas, or even Nafisa Collier, who over the last 15 is shooting 42.9% from three. Too many players who can make shots, and I think that's going to lead them to a win on the road. All right, on the other side of the bracket, we've got Phoenix taking on Chicago. You're eight and you're five. I'm picking Chicago to win this one. James Wade uh, was uh, my pick, actually, for Coach of the Year, uh, which was not easy. A lot of great coaches this year. But what he did with that team to turn them into a playoff contender, uh, he said it from day one that we are a playoff team, and he made it happen. And I think they're going to win that game on their home floor. Really? You got that? I do. Well, well, don't forget, we just found out a couple hours ago Diana Taraji's probably not playing. Oh, I was so, so, uh, and you just you have that. I mean, as, and Brittany Griner, she was second on my MVP ballot. She had an incredible year. Dewana Bonner. There's a ton of talent, and Sandy Brondello knows what she's doing. But I think I think Diamond to Shields when the lights go on is going to take it to another level. And she's having a great year. I'm excited sure to see is. the span of her career will look like. Um, Brondello, also another one who I love in the league. All right, so we moved on. Then you got you'll have Minnesota, Vegas, and you'll have Chicago, Los Angeles. What we got, Howard? 
Minnesota is going to, I think, in that situation, fall to Vegas as much as uh, I, I think Shell Reeve would enjoy the opportunity to go up and beat her old uh, boss. She was the lead assistant, of course, uh, to Bill Ambeer in Detroit many, many years ago. Uh, but I think ultimately Vegas has too many options for Minnesota to stop in a home playoff game. Uh, you know, Liz Cambage has made it very clear what she wants is to win a championship. I did an interview with her earlier this year, and she said she was visualizing it, uh, the, N- the WNBA Finals, and having her mother come to visit. Uh, and so she keeps visualizing it to make it so. I think at least on this day, that'll be enough in order for them to prevail. Fantastic. On the other side, Sparks or Sky? Asking too much, I think, for the Sky to go into Los Angeles. The Sparks have won 15 in a row at home. That is a very talented team. Candace Parker, who, contrary to what you may have read, is not the most overrated player in the league. Candace Parker is playing extremely well right now. Neko Gwumake, Shanae Gwumake. I saw them play this summer, and what I loved about it was they were finding each other so effortlessly. And at some level, you say, all right, well, that doesn't make sense. They're brand-new teammates. Uh, They haven't played together uh, in the WNBA. But, of course, what we know is they are sisters who played together at Stanford for a couple years. And so they both described me as essentially knowing where the other one is at all times on the floor. And so that's that's a lot to overcome. You can you can have you know a certain culture that you build for a team, but being able to overcome a sister bond, I think, is probably a bridge too far even for Chicago. Oh man, and they are very very talented. Not just sister bond, but they're very talented sisters. Oh, All remarkable. Right. The rest of the way, you're going to take Washington over Vegas, Connecticut over the Sparks, and then it'll be the clash of the Mystics and the Sun. Mystics take it all. I'm super excited. It's gonna be- okay. So wait, let's rewind though, Howard. Yes, I pretty much agree with you, but I do remember myself included. And I don't know, was Vegas the sexy pick at the beginning of the season to take it all, or do you still see them as a dark horse? I, I mean, the problem is, and and Bill and Beer talks about this all the time. This is a new group to put together, and so asking them in. Year one for Liz, year one for Liz and Asia Wilson trying to figure out how to play together uh, and make that work. And to be frank, a rookie point guard in Jackie Young. Jackie Young is super talented. Jackie Young's have a great career in this league. But asking her in year one to be able to run the team and you move Kelsey Plum over to the two, that is asking a whole lot of people to do brand new things. That, That Vegas team is super talented. Taylor McBride is probably the most underrated player in the league. I can say that. And that is a team that has the capabilities of beating anyone on any given day. Plus it is the best by defensive rating in the WNBA. But are they a dark horse? Yeah, They'd have to go, if you think about it, and win multiple game fives on the road if those series went to a full game five. And that's, that is asking a lot of any team. Yes, I'm a member of the media, but the Mystics are the team that I grew up watching here locally when Tamika Hall and Nikki McRae were there. So I personally would love to see a title come back to D.C. But, I mean, if if that happened with Vegas shaking it up, kudos to Bill Lambeer and that unit coming together so quickly. But it's, it's a great point in terms of taking a beat and giving them a chance to simmer and come to a full boil. <laughs> I, I could easily see a scenario. You know, Liz Cambage has talked about 
stepping back after the 2020 season. And I could easily see a scenario where she leads Vegas to a championship in 2020 and maybe steps away from the game of basketball altogether, which is essentially my warning to your listeners to make sure you enjoy Liz Cambage while you have the chance because her game is singular, and I don't know that this is a player who wants to play deep into her 30s like the Sylvia Fowles who just signed her contract extension. So uh, Sylvia Fowles is, like, timeless. She's such a G. <laughs> I mean, you know, she changed her game this year. She was always operating in the paint. She shot two for six from 15 to 19 feet last year. And I haven't checked the numbers since I wrote a story uh, on it last week, but she was at 55% and she had taken 34 attempts from 15 to 19 feet. She just spent all off season working with assistant coach Walt Hopkins and learning how to do a brand new thing at age 33. She just never stops evolving. And she remains very much the same still year after year after year. Best Best five, in my opinion, in the history of the league. Although I know that's opening up a whole debate. So, WNBA Twitter, which we love, has been talking, Howard. I know you've seen it. So let's get your take on your Rookie of the Year and then your MVP, although it seems that more and more people are getting on board with Elena Deladon as unanimous MVP. Well, so I, I'll start with MVP because that's the easy one. It's, it's Elena. Uh, Elena Deladon is... Uh, around seven win shares this year. Uh, nobody else even has six. I mean, there are a million numbers you could throw at it, but she was unstoppable. She was by far the best player for the best team in the league. Uh, I, to me, that was – I don't remember. I've been voting for a few years. I don't remember having an easier call than Elena Deladon for MVP. So I would go with that. And then I will say by rookie of the year, that was one of the harder votes I've ever had to take. And I had three candidates. You know, WNBA Twitter has been uh, very clear. It's Arite versus Fee. And to be perfectly honest, I think Tierra McCowan has a really good argument to be made as well. If you go by win shares, for instance, she was uh, 3.9. Uh, Nafisa Collier was at 5.2. But Nafisa Collier played about 300 more minutes. Now, depending on how you want to measure that, that either means, well, Nafisa Collier played a lot more, so she should be the rookie of the year. Or you could say, all right, Tierra McCowan in her time was much more dominant, and therefore Tierra McCowan should be the rookie of the year. And then, you know, it goes without saying, Enrique Agumboale, who finished the year with 30-point game after 30-point game after 30-point game, obviously needs to be in that conversation as well for what she did as the number one person on every opposing scouting report. So... I ultimately voted for Nafisa Collier, and I did it for a couple of reasons. One is that from day one right through the end of the year, she was such an important part of a Minnesota Lynch playoff team that I thought that gave her an edge over Tierra McCowan, Arike Grumbawale, neither of whom ultimately played for playoff teams. So that was number one. And number two was that she got better. As the year went on, I, I mentioned her ability to shoot from three earlier this uh, season, but you know that was not something that she came in able to do. She was a high 20s, low 30s three-point shooter at UConn uh, for a pretty decent uh, college staff over there with Gino and CD. And so the fact that she was able to work and get to a point where she is a plus-plus three-point shooter uh, in a league where she really needs to, based on size, be a three, rather than a four, 
Uh, she made herself into the player the Lynch needed her to be, and to do that as a rookie, adjusting to a higher level, I think that was just too many things to pass up. Hey, Howard, this is Bruce. Uh, one of the teams that did not make the playoffs this year uh, is Indiana. And I saw a story that you wrote a couple of days ago about uh, the VP of basketball ops, Tamika Catchings, and her challenge in rebuilding the franchise up after they fired Pokey Chapman. Um, it, and in another article that I read about this a similar topic, she mentioned something to the effect of, well, they won it all in 2012, and she's looking at the 2012 team as sort of a model to be emulated. But even though that's a championship team, I mean, has the formula for success changed in the past seven, eight years? Is looking backwards the right call? It's a really good question. And, I, you know, we, we had a conference call with her, so trying to figure out what she means by the 2012 team is an interesting one. Uh, you know, for one thing, the 2012 team had a peak level to meet the catchings, and that's not easily replicable. You know, to meet the catchings, if you go by wind shares, Catchings is not just the best player in the history of the WNBA. She's the best by 20% over the next highest total, who's Lauren Jackson. So finding someone at the center of a team like that is not easy to do. It's not somebody who's available in every draft or every other draft or every few years. It's, you could argue, happened once in the history of the league. Now, can you build a team based around a veteran coach in Lynn Dunn and terrific defense and, you know, the ability to, to make key shots when it matters? You know, sure, absolutely you could do that. Uh, but whether the formula's changed or not, it does, and I know this sounds like an overly simplified way of uh, saying it, it does come down to great players. You know, Minnesota won four championships uh, because they were able to build around Maya Moore. Uh, you know, the Mystics are the favorites this year because they're able to build around Elena Deladon. Uh, last year, Seattle won because Brianna Stewart was the best player in the world. And so Indiana has a good young core with Sierra McCallum, with Kelsey Mitchell, Victoria Vivians will be coming back next year after missing this year due to injury. But if Indiana doesn't have that signature player, I don't know that all the culture, culture and modeling in the world is going to turn them into 2012, unless Tamika's coming out of retirement. That's that's great information, Howard. Uh, one other big issue that's, you know, last week when we had Jean-Claude Jones on, she was, um, Monica, how can I say this diplomatically? She was kind of down on the refereeing, the officiating uh, in, the, in the league, um, particularly as it affects the bigs. Do you have you heard a lot of buzz about any changes they may want to make or adjustments to any rules to sort of give the bigs a little bit of a more of a flow down there? How long have you got? Keep, like, as long as you got. I mean, every, everyone in the league has complained, and it has been progressively worse as the years gone on. I, I mean, you saw it in the first half of the year. I, I wrote a story about this over at five thirty eight. Um, you know, focused on Sylvia Fowles, but um, you know what's throughout the league. The big bigs were not getting uh, calls on fouls the way they had in years past. And so uh, at one point, I don't know what the number finished at, but at one point late in the year, the number of free throw attempts for Liz Cambage, Brittany Griner, and Sylvia Fowles were down collectively 37%. Now, think about what does that mean? That means a couple of things. Number one, the flow is disrupted because these big bits can be, you know, essentially hit with impunity. Um, the overall offensive numbers are going to go down as a result of that as well. And you're just going to turn it into more of a slog of a game. 
And so the overall offensive numbers have been down significantly. Um, now, I've asked Sue Blouch, who's the head of officiating uh, at the W, about this. And, you know, she said that there are always adjustments need to be made. After the All-Star break, fouls went up uh, quite a bit. Uh, whether they found the right level or not is sort of secondary to the fact that nothing was communicated to players or teams. So now you have all these players trying to guess. Sylvia Fowles hit several games with early foul trouble because suddenly the things that weren't a call for the first 18 games of the year were getting called. And so she's sitting on the bench with two and three fouls. And this is not some newcomer to the league. This is Sylvia Fowles trying to figure out how the game's going to be called. So to my mind, I think you want to make sure that they are getting to the line, that a foul is a foul. you know. But wherever you're drawing that line, it needs to be done at the start of the year, and it needs to be clearly communicated to players and coaches alike. Hmm. Those numbers really say something, though. That's a stark contrast, Howard. Goodness. Wait, can I, I, I just got, I mean, the emotional impact of it, you know, Liz, in the midst of all of that, was talking about maybe walking away after 2020. Brittany Griner, of course, had that altercation, and then she was talking about how she may not want to stay in it forever. And even Sylvia Fowles, who is as happy-go-lucky off the court as anyone you're going to find, she talked about how she was meditating, how the three of them were huddling at the All-Star game to just have a conversation. Gee, said, you know, how are you dealing with this? Oh, how are you dealing with this? It, was, it had a huge impact on three of the signature stars in the league. Whoa. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're right. And I think that's the part that makes it even more urgent in terms of addressing it, because we're not talking about like sixth grade bigs, the girl that really can't do nothing. She's just big. Like we're talking about bona fide stars driving names in the WNBA. So yes. goodness. Have to do right by your stars. Have to. All right, Howard, it has been an incredibly informative time with you, but now we're going to end our show, or at least our interview with you, the way that we do it, um, our signature, our ode to our name, our buckets, boards, and blocks. Since you are the expert, and this is by far the most thorough and comprehensive W conversation we've had, um, we've had folks talk about their teams or their roles, but Mm -hmm. big picture. I'm going to ask you for each one of them because you have that level and depth of knowledge. Oh boy. All right, so Howard, let's, let's go with the thing that we want to get rid of first. A block. Give me something that you would like to see get blocked out of the WNBA moving forward, or it, like if maybe it's a, if it's officiating something that needs to drastically improve. What is a block from the 2019-2020 WNBA season? A salary structure that doesn't allow the overwhelming majority of these players to stay home during the offseason. I mean, it's as simple as making sure they are around to promote the league, that these are elite athletes who have the opportunity to heal their bodies with a true offseason. The league will be better, the players will be better, and the opportunity to grow the league will be better. Part of growing the game is the visibility, Absolutely. and that comes with being around. Like, we would love to see our favorite WNBA players courtside at NBA games throughout the course of the year. Courtside at NBA games, working like Christy Tolliver did as assistant coaches, more of them in the broadcast booth, the way Asia Wilson was. I mean, there's a wealth of talent there to be utilized throughout the basketball world, and it's something we need We need to see, and everybody wins when it happens. I had so much fun with Asia during ACC women's coverage. She's a blast. I agree with you. Okay, up next, your board. I want you to think like a rebound, something that maybe wasn't great, but it has some silver lining, 
or something that maybe you've seen a little bit of improvement in this area, but there's still more to go. What is your board from 2019-2020 WNBA season? My board is going to be the ownership change, um, that, or excuse me, the, the, the commissioner change from president to commissioner. The fact that there is now somebody in uh, Kathy Engelbert who has been um, given the opportunity to lead, who has been open and forthcoming, talking to media at every stop she's done along the way, and has a chance to, it seems, be empowered to make the kind of CBA deal that would help us with the uh, block segment and mm -hmm. would make sure that players are more effectively paid and would make sure that there's a coherence to the WNBA message that starts at the top and goes all the way through to the teams. Love it. Commissioner Engelberg, starting off strong, got her work cut out for her, but very promising. Last but not least, Howard, your bucket from the 2019-2020 WNBA season. What is the thing that you want more of these? Give me all of those, Howard. I have to say it's Elaine and Deldon. I have to say that you have seen a player who I, I've got a short list of players who I've covered in my career, uh, men and women, who I came away saying I've never seen that before. Uh, I remember feeling that way when I covered LeBron James in a high school tournament in New Jersey. I remember feeling that way when I saw Steph Curry playing for Davidson. I remember feeling that way when I saw Brianna Stewart at UConn. And I remember feeling that way the first chance I had to see Elena Deladon play on a regular basis and play for the first time. And so the fact that here she is in the heart of her career, she has good health, which has not always been the easiest thing for her to come by, battling Lyme disease, battling other things, even a bone bruise in last year's playoff. Good health so that we get to see as much Elena Deladon for the remainder of her career, as long as she wants to play as possible. This is going to be, I believe, a signature month for Elena Deladon, who's already done so much, who's won gold medals, who has uh, been a remarkable player in this league. But many, many more years of Elena Deladon being healthy is going to go a long way toward continuing to grow the popularity of this game. I love it. I agree and echo that sentiment. Elena is such a beast. It's crazy because we were technically classmates coming out of high school. Hmm. And I remember when she decided she wasn't going to stay at UConn. It was like, okay, well, we're in the Big East. We don't have to deal with that. <laughs> I'm glad that her story has, in a way, come full circle. What she was able to do at Delaware. The reason she chose to go to Delaware, as was highlighted on HBO Real Sports, and she's just yeah. become such a great voice, such a great representation of good basketball. And then, of course, joining Elite Company with those crazy numbers this year. I mean, the ability to do everything on the court at such an elite level is something that we don't often see. And, you know, the conversation about who the greatest of all time is in this league I, I think it has to start with Tamika Catchings because she found levels nobody else has found. I think that Elena has managed to do that in enough categories, in enough ways, that we may be having a similar conversation about her as some singular player. But it's going to require for her to be in that list, you know, with a Lauren Jackson, with a Tamika Catchings. It's going to require good health, and that's why it's it's just so important and so frankly rewarding emotionally uh, covering the league and in a year where so many people have gotten uh, injured to see her uh, be able to be out there and be her best self all, all season long.
I agree with you 100%, my friend. When we have you on again, or maybe we'll just have a, a regular old hoops podcast, not no specific, specifics at all. But I would be curious on how, what, like, your criteria for the GOAT type of conversation becomes, right? Because, you know, I grew up with the league of Lisa Leslie, and, like, we mm-hmm. hadn't bigs like Elena Deladon or even Tamika Catchings for that matter like you were a guard or you were a post so that's a whole nother rabbit hole that we can go down but yeah. for sure Elena Deladon's got to be on that list when you start talking about the greatest absolutely and and you know again in a positionless basketball world which is where we are when it comes to the very best players whether it's Elena whether it's uh, Stewie whether it's John Paul Jones those are going to increasingly fade away and it's just going to be judged on production. It's going to be judged on how you're able to lift your team and make them better. Uh, and frankly, that's the other area in which Tamika Catchings was at a different level than other players I've seen, that she lifted those Indiana Fever teams. You think about the Indiana Fever team in 2015 that made it all the way to the finals. There was some talent on that team, but that was not a WNBA Finals roster jumping off the page. It was a WNBA Finals roster because Tamika Catchings made them so. Oh, man, and she's still showing off them guns when she was she, <laughs> she got the best arms in the game, I swear. Well, Howard, thank you so much for my um, your time, my friend. Where are you going to be for the playoffs? Are you are you following along? Are you traveling? What are you doing? I will be. I'll be. Um, you can actually go to my Twitter account at Howard Megdal, and you can help me get to the WNBA Finals. I'm part of a civil boost. Uh, civil is uh, helping me get to the WNBA Finals through the Nine newsletter, which you all should subscribe to as well. Um, but I'm going to start out in Connecticut, uh, come the semifinals, and be writing about the sun actually for high post hoops as well. So a little bit of everything. Fantastic. We will make sure that we tweet, retweet, follow our guy, our guy Howard. Um, this was a blast, Howard. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For me as well. I'm, I'm happy to chat anytime. Thank you. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Thanks to Howard Megdahl for spending some quality time with us on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. Also, thanks to my producer and loyal wingman, Bruce Bernstein. We could not make this show happen without our extraordinary editor, Ben Wolfen. So thanks to Ben. Please check out our other shows from Pure Hoops Media. Uh, We've got the Mike Wise Show each Monday. And this week, look, we're all talking about it. Mike is going to take a deep dive into the new ESPN 30 for 30, Dennis Rodman, for better or worse. Every Friday, it's the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. And on Wednesday, we have Catch and Shoot with Adam Stanko and Noah Kozlov. Please subscribe to all of our shows. They're free, so feel free to rate them, leave a review, find us on Twitter. We're always interested in your feedback. I'm back next week, but until we meet again, enjoy your hoops. Buckets, Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt has been a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. 